Amen. For Advent this year, as a church family, we're going to go through an Old Testament book uh, of a prophet named Micah. It is in Micah chapter 5 where there is the announcement that a ruler would come from Bethlehem. And so we'll get there eventually in just a a few weeks, but we're going to go over the next five weeks through the entire uh, book of Micah. It's not a very long book, uh, but we'll still be going through it relatively quickly um, to try to get through it uh, through the course of this Advent. And we encourage you to uh, study it deeper and further as you're able to uh, on your own at home. Uh, Sometimes uh, if you're you're like me, you, you maybe didn't hear a lot of teaching out of the Old Testament, even if you grew up going to church. And so it can kind of feel intimidating and not maybe the first place you would go to in your devotionals. Um, And so in my own life, I've just come to grow in my appreciation for it and to see how uh, the New Testament is mostly just a commentary on the old and there's this beauty of how they go together and how our own lives are enriched when we uh, read all of Scripture uh, as relevant for all of our lives. But there was this longing on the children of Israel for a king to come. It's one thing when we experience individual tragedies, and it happens to all of us. At some point in all of our lives, something happens that we couldn't have expected, we don't have words to explain, and then many people come alongside of us and just offer words of encouragement and support and show their love to us in unique ways. That becomes challenged, however, when all of us are going through something at the same time because we all feel this longing for someone to come alongside of us, but when everyone else we know is going through the same thing that we're going through, it is hard to find that sort of overflow of extended hospitality and grace. And things had gotten so bad uh, for the children of Israel that they were collectively longing for redemption, that a Messiah would come, that someone would be able to rescue them, because all of them felt in a unique way how they needed this. And no one of them was going to ultimately be the answer or the solution for what their, the deepest longings of their heart were. And for me, at least in my lifetime, this is a unique season where whatever your opinions are for why the world the way is uh, or who's to blame for how things are going, in a unique way, there is still this sense of we are all going through something together. And we all can use some encouragement at times. And even this past week, I heard from relatives in different parts of the world where, again, it was, oh, it's not even just that we are dealing with things. It is truly there's no one yet that I have an extended family uh, on any continent that can't also talk about what they're going through in this unique moment and how their lives have been disrupted uh, because of this pandemic. And it's that wow, that that does feel really unique that it's not just one person, it's not just one area, it's not just one country, but there is this sense of we're all going through something. Again, whether you have a completely different opinion about than me as to why or how or how to get out of it, we mutually share this, I just wish it wasn't this way. (laughs) Uh, I can't wait till we're looking in the rearview mirror uh, on this. And in a much more casual setting, we can all talk about it as something that is not our present reality, but is a past situation. And so in that sense, we are just even by coming together in worship and singing of the holiness of God and that the earth is filled with his glory. We say that even when we don't always feel that. 
you know, that this Thursday you might not have woken up and said, I can just tell the whole earth is filled with this glory. But we say it in faith, believing that, yeah, even if things are discouraging or confusing to us, that everything we know to be true about God is still true. And he's worthy of our worship. And it's also okay and appropriate for us to express in our worship that something's still not right. (laughs) And we are longing for things to be made right. We're longing for redemption to come. And that's what we see in many of the Old Testament books that are uh, named after the prophets who spoke them. That was kind of their job. The prophets looked upon what was going on in Israel and said, uh, partially, this is God is judging us. We have not taken his word seriously. And also, God is going to bring a redeemer, a ruler who will come, who's going to be different than any other ruler who's come before and who won't let us down in the way that all of our rulers have let us down up to this point. So if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to go to Micah chapter 1. We'll also put the verses up on the screen uh, for those of you who don't have a Bible with you or in front of you to see what this prophet Micah was saying in his own day. So here are the first five verses of Micah chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place, and he will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open, like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? And we'll stop there, but the whole of chapter 1 sort of continues this theme where it is clear that Micah as the prophet is announcing judgment that everyone there is experiencing. And in the first verse, Micah tells us sort of what time period he was uh, speaking and, and preaching in. It was the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, which if you were to take your Bible and then open it to Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 1, you would see that Isaiah was doing his ministry at the same time as Micah. Isaiah is a little bit older and precedes him. There's a king before Jotham uh, named either Uzziah or Azariah, whether you're reading it in Isaiah or 2 Kings. But basically, they are ministering at the same point, even though in you, when you open your Bible, their books are separated from each other. And one of the interesting things about both of them in the time period that they preached and prophesied was that there was a king in Judah who had an unusually long reign as a king of Judah. He reigned for over 50 years. He started when he was 16 years old. He started when he was 16 because his father had been executed. And so they needed a king, and they made him a king young, and he served for a long time. And in 2 Kings, we read that he actually did really well by standards of the kings of Judah, that many things he did were, in fact, right in the Lord's eyes, except, it says, that he did not take down the high places that his father had allowed to be built. And one of the punishments that had come upon this long-reigning king, who did a lot of good things, but refused to take down the high places, 
was that he was struck with leprosy. And so he was, as the head of the nation, now this visual demonstration of the judgment of God. And because he was struck with leprosy, he had to be quarantined and live in a completely separate house. And so then his son, Jotham, had to become the ruling king even while his dad was still alive. And everyone knew this. The king can't rule. The king can't reign. The king is sick. He has to be separated. He's, he's now unclean. And so his son takes charge. And it's that son, Jotham, who is king when Micah and Isaiah are prophesying. And it's a sad time for the nation. There's a lot of uncertainty And what they're allowing to take place in these high places are at the top of a lot of mountain peaks, these shrines and altars to worship other gods. And so in this uh, uncertainty of their day and how they're surrounded by their neighbors who believe and worship other gods, many had adopted this approach of, well, we'll worship our God and we'll go ahead and worship other gods. And so we'll still have our temple in Jerusalem, but there will also be these Shrines and altars at other mountaintops that we can also go and just sort of cover all of our bases, if you will. And that was something that uh, every one of them would have known was in violation of the commandments that God had given, that he wants our exclusive worship as the only God over all the earth. And so because these high places were still there, we read in Micah, that hear you, O peoples, all of you pay attention, O earth and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his high place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And one of the ways I visualize that, I don't know if you ever watch any parkour videos where people can like like scale up really uh, tall heights and buildings and kind of do things that defy uh, any sense of safety or what most of us human beings can do. Um, But you sort of develop this image in Micah chapter one of God is gonna come down from heaven and he is gonna leap from mountaintop to mountaintop and he is going to crush every high place that they have tolerated for way too long. And that our highest place is going to be at the bottom of his feet, right? He's, he's going to come down to reach our high place. And he's going to crush it. And it's Micah's job to say that. It's Isaiah's job to say that. Does that sound like an easy job? <laughs> is that a job you would want? Like we think of the prophets and we usually think of them uh, foretelling things that will happen in the future and like, oh, they've got these sort of secret codes of what's going to happen and it sounds really cool, There's some of that, but just as much, they're not asked to tell necessarily truth about the future, but they're told to tell really hard truth about the present. And in doing that, they have a really thankless job because the kings have even tolerated some of this disobedience. The priests have even tolerated some of this disobedience, and it's their job to announce that God cares about it. And so what Micah first announces to everyone is that God is still the sovereign over kings and nations. Uh, If you have an NIV translation, then in verse 2, when we read, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, it would have said, and let the sovereign Lord be a witness against you from his holy temple. And he's saying this to all the earth. And so Micah is encouraging all of the people to remember 
whoever's currently ruling or reigning and whatever they're trying to do, God is still sovereign over all of that. No one is more powerful than him. And no one is ever so powerful on this earth that they will ultimately get away with disobeying his will and his ways. And for all of them, they would have had to simply think of Uzziah as an example. He did so much good, but he didn't do what God had wanted him to do with the high places. He was punished for that. And now other people are ruling and reigning. And so Micah is saying, even though we might all have a sense of frustration and wish that things would be different, we should never allow all of that concern to ultimately get us to doubt and question whether God is really God and whether he is still the sovereign over kings and nations. He is really God. Why he allows this to happen or that to happen, we don't know, and the Bible doesn't tell us all the reasons for that. But none of us are supposed to misinterpret his patience. That simply because he is patient and the judgment doesn't happen immediately when something happens, and he waits and he waits and he waits, that that waiting is not for any of us supposed to get us to think, well, he doesn't really care and he's not really going to do anything about it. Like, no, he really cares, and he's really going to do something about it. And Micah's announcing in sort of a dramatic way, he's about to come down. <laughs> and it's, it's, a, it's a difficult message to share, but it's a message that is being shared after generations of warning and uh, uh, offers of repentance on the part of the people. And they needed to know for the ordinary person that God was still God. And then he goes on to explain, now part of why this is going to happen is that God is going to come and he's going to be a witness against unrighteousness and injustice. So if you were to read again further in chapter 1 and then all of chapter 2, if you have a Bible open, this won't appear on the screen, but in chapter 2 it says, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds, When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, against this family, I am devising disaster. And so not only is there uh, inappropriate behavior happening on the part of a king like Uzziah and then some of the other rulers, But he's saying a lot of people are taking this as a license to do their own unrighteousness. They're looking at something their neighbor has and saying, hey, I want what you have, and they're seizing it. And there's just all kinds of unrighteousness and injustice taking place. And so the announcement is that the sovereign Lord is going to come and be a witness against you. Now, if you or I ever appear in a court of law, the one witness we don't want against us is the God who knows everything who can't be tricked in any way, whose knowledge is perfect. We want him as an advocate for us, is what we want. But Micah's announcing he's going to come as a witness. And no one offers him fake news. No one tricks him. He knows everything perfectly. And he sees the coveting. He sees the rioting. He sees the injustices that are going on. And just as much as the leaders and the kings needed to hear this, the ordinary people needed to hear this. 
that none of us is so powerful or none of us is so small that we can get away with rebelling against God's will and his ways. He cares about it. And because he is holy, he longs for us to have holiness in our lives, that we would treat people with justice and righteousness and goodness and grace. That instead of coveting what belongs to someone else and taking it from them, that we would congratulate them, celebrate with them, enter into their joy if good things are happening in their lives. Instead of only thinking through everything in terms of our own selfish lens. And this is a judgment that will come on Samaria and Jerusalem. We had read in verse 5. So that this is a time when the nation is divided into two. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The, the capital, Jerusalem, is in the southern kingdom. So one of the ways the northern kingdom deals with that is, hey, we don't want our people going into their country now to worship. So we're going to have our own capital city. It's going to be in Samaria. And so there's two capitals and two temples. If you think through our own history of this nation uh, and where our capital is located, I think for after the Constitution was officially ratified, we were about a year and a half in New York and then about a year and a half in Philadelphia before eventually Washington, D.C. was chosen as this in-between-the-two because it was clear already from the beginning that it's pretty different in the North and the South. And so to put the capital somewhere where we didn't eventually have two capitals, it still ended up happening and a war was fought to bring it back together. But at that time, you could already tell there was enough division going on that there was this compromise of let's put it somewhere where it's neither in the north or south and it's everyone's together. When Jerusalem, or in ancient Israel, they didn't have that. Jerusalem was the capital. And once it divided, it was, uh, we got to make another one. <laughs> and so they did. And Micah's writing from the south. Micah could be this entire book just complaining about Samaria and how wrong it was for them to make a new capital and how sinful the north is. But when you read through it, you realize Micah's being honest about the sin in the north, and he's being honest about the sin in the south. He said God's judgment's coming on Samaria, and he says God's judgment's coming on Jerusalem. Again, that's a hard thing to do, because it's easy. Sometimes we can get angry about injustice and unrighteousness when other people do it, and then we can just point that out and, and go. But if someone says, would you mind if we like examine your own life a little bit? Maybe a couple of areas where you're kind of getting a little loose with some things that you think you should hold on to, then we, our tone can change. But Micah is pretty fair. Jerusalem, Samaria is at risk. And everyone in the south, his brothers and sisters in Judah, shouldn't look on what's going to happen to the north and say, we're going to be okay. Whenever we see the judgment of God poured out, it should cause all of us to be humbled and say, Lord, what, what do I need to repent of? What do you want to clean out of my life? Because I don't want to find a way to excuse sin. I don't want to just look at someone else's sin and think it's worse and then not care about my own. But because the coming devastation is so thorough for both Samaria and Jerusalem, we read through it and we say, well, then what hope is there? And we get a glimmer of it at the end of chapter 2. So this is chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Once the Lord comes and he is a witness against the righteousness, the unrighteousness and injustice of the world, he offers the beginning of a promise of hope. 
I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. So this promise will be further developed in Micah, but already here is this sense that when God comes as a witness and judgment does take place, none of us can survive it on our own. And none of us can get out of it unless he rescues us. And the good news is he promises to rescue us. He promises to restore us, to redeem us. And so he promises here a shepherd king who would come. And we need that promise because we won't be able to save ourselves from it. We can't. That's what we celebrate in communion. None of us could offer the sacrifice for our sins. We needed someone else to be the sacrifice for us. When the judgment of God is poured out, not only on an individual, but on nations, we need a shepherd king from heaven itself who is both gentle enough to gather up the wounded and strong enough to carry us all the way home. That's what we need. Someone who is simultaneously gentle enough that he can pick us up without crushing us and strong enough that he can hold each and every one of us. And as Micah announces that, as Isaiah announces that, later Ezekiel and others, it builds this anticipation for a coming Messiah who we celebrate in Jesus the Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your awesomeness and that you did raise up people who in their day saw so many things that broke your heart and when they needed a boldness and a courage to announce your holiness and your righteousness your coming judgment that they were willing to speak the truth and father when all of us feel the weight of our own sin and we might despair and we also need to hear of your grace and your ability to redeem and to restore and to pick up the pieces of a broken world. We thank you that they also announced a shepherd king who would come. And so we do thank you for Jesus. We thank you again for his willingness to come. That he is therefore worthy of all of our celebrations in whatever ways we do it. And as we're reminded afresh in our own day of the brokenness of this world and the fallenness of it, we, we groan anew and long for Christ to reign fully and completely in righteousness and justice. And we offer this song now as an expression of our thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.